you grab the note on the back side of your bulletin there, or is it the inside of your bulletin? But would you turn to Mark chapter 6? We're going to continue on in our study. We're kind of taking a story by story in Mark's gospel for a while. And so we're going to look at Mark chapter 6, 45 through 56. Last week we looked at the great shepherd uh, bringing his sheep beside still waters, or actually beside community pastures, and having them sit there, and he gives the disciples um, food as he multiplies it, and he feeds them, and they are in awe and astonished. So Jesus is, Jesus has a following, it's a pretty big following, right? And, and so now we come to this point where, well, let me read it, and then I want you to help me by making observations. Now, immediately, he, that's Jesus, made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And at the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. He got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the light that they had heard. And when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and more and more to the shore. And when they got out, out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. And they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to when, wherever they heard he was. And when, wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. As many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord. So, what, what stands out? Let's start out by making observations. What, what things stood out to you in this text? Okay, where's that all about, right? So where, where's that reverse from? He, oh yeah, the end of 48. So he meant to pass by them. What in the world is that all about? So we'll get that. We'll try to get to that. What else? Try not to answer all of them right now, but what's going to actually be in the text? recognized him when he was out on the sea at first. I wonder if they recognized him. They recognized him, I think, when he got in the boat. It's the crowd that recognized him at the side. So, yeah. What else?
who's on the what watch of the day? The fourth watch, which is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., which many think it was probably closer to 6 because they could actually see something. So it might have been closer to the later part of that watch, because then that's 6. Israel had a harvest of hearts that kept them from actually trusting. 
that's where Isaiah says, you know, it says, Isaiah, you're going to go and you're going to prophesy to a people, and they're going to, that can't hear, and they're, they're going to hear you, but they won't hear, because their hearts are hardened. And even the, the disciples yet still haven't opened themselves up completely to who Jesus truly is. I think they're still having their hearts come to come to grasp. And that's coming to grasp with who he is. Um, and in fact, we're going to see a progression of this happening. That's why I think later on we're going to see how God sometimes works in our lives in progression. It's like, you remember the story, we're going to get to this, where that, remember the story of the strange miracle of Jesus healing partially and then healing completely? He like wipes the, the blind man's eyes. And then it says that he could see, but it was like he saw people were like trees. And it's like, Jesus didn't have to do that. I mean, whenever did Jesus have to take two steps to make a, something happen, a miracle? Like, be like, oh, I, this was so hard, I have to do it in two stages. No, it's because he was wanting to teach them. And so I think their blindness was still there. In this case, they should have. They should be learning that from God is all powerful. He provides the food, the lesson of the loaves, and they did it. But how many times have we seen God come through for us spiritually, and then still run into in our obedience? In fact, every time we're anxious about something, yet we've seen God deliver us in the past. We're not learning the loads here, are we? And, um, okay, I, I just want to bring out some observations here. Some little notes here. The first is, Jesus directs his disciples into passive suffering. Notice this beginning statement. Jesus, immediately he made his disciples, verse 45, he made his disciples go into the boat and go up before him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus gave clear instructions and led the twelve disciples to share across the sea and on to cut. And he knew the results of their journey. We know that enough about Jesus, I don't think we could say. He's knowing what's going on. He could see them from a distance. Instead of a quick evening talk, they were in for that big Galilee trek of suffering. He knew and let them go across the trouble of going back. Can we do that in our lives? Not, maybe not with that. Maybe, I don't want to describe it with that metaphor. He never leaves us with the closeness. But doesn't Jesus let us suffer? Doesn't he put it? He did this for the disciples. He knew full well they're going to cross the sea, and the sea was not going to be easy to cross. And he told them to go. You might say, Jesus led us on this journey? He told us to go. We should, we should expect that it's going to be easy sailing because he's the master of the winds and the seas. And yet, and Jesus built that in our lives. Um, he allows and ordains struggles and trials into our lives. And he's teaching these men something very important and wants to teach us something too. And the Bible makes it clear that God does do that in the struggling trials. He leads us, we call them our crosses to bear. Trials, difficulties, afflictions, 
psalmist says that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. What struggle do you work or overcome or overcome or is your life one facing like you are a God of the Bible that just refuses? When we see it on us, it comes down to say, oh, I mean, God is sovereign. He's in control. So he's like, he, if it happens, there is a sense in which it's part of his plan. What is the knowledge of the fact that he has allowed you in that struggle? What difference does that make? What difference does that make to your life? So, as Mike shared, your ability to handle it. Is it ever a surprise to God? second one we see is Jesus always sees us in our struggle and will always respond with perfect timing and love. Did Jesus see the disciples in, in their struggles in this story? That it goes very clear for us to see that he saw them. It's kind of interesting. Look at verse 47. And when evening came, the boat was out in the sea. He was alone on the land. And I don't know, he must have been up way up on a mountain to see where they were, saw their struggle, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe it's possible the Father gives them a vision of seeing, because it's too dark to literally see, or maybe the moon was out, but if there's a storm, the moon would probably be covered. I'm not sure. It doesn't say. It says, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch, between two and six, he came to them that night. He, he meant us by Isn't it encouraging to know that Jesus sees us in our struggle? He, he knows our difficulties, and he always responds in perfect to the story of Lazarus that seems like it's coming up real quick. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it says in, is that John 11? Yeah. In John 11, at the very beginning, it says, the messenger came to Jesus and said, Lazarus has just come. And it says, now Jesus loved Lazarus, so he stayed, and I think it was in Bethany, or I'm not sure where he was. And he stayed there. It says he loved him, so he stayed there, meaning he didn't go to him. So what is that all about? Well, because love said, I am going to let you go, let a trial go through. I, I'm going I'm to allow this to happen. Jesus, I would argue, in love, let the disciples struggle out in, in, the, wilderness, in the wilderness of your Galilee too. He let them struggle. Because he, he wanted to reveal something to them there in the wilderness. And he wanted us to learn something in the wilderness. 
disciples had recently cast out demons for the people from the people and healed the sick, but they were unable to cast them out. You know what I'm saying? They, they, we can cast out demons. We can, we can do all these things and miracles. We can drop the seeds of cancer. We're fishermen. And Jesus has come to them then to teach and learn. And Jesus is God. And you don't always know why you bring trouble to your life that you shouldn't. He always waits for the perfect time when you need him. And he's made a way to come to you. Third thing, third thing that I think is a hardened heart often is even before it receives Jesus' promise to be filled with the Spirit. Just like the disciples, we can be just like that. Where in the midst of our struggles, Jesus comes to meet us. It might be through a friend, it might be through certain certain circumstances, but we often repeatedly fail to see His presence and glory because He saw He saw that they were going to make they were making painful headway. So at the fourth watch of the night, He came walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. John brought this up, but when they saw Him walking on the sea, they thought He was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. He got to the boat and went to sleep. Then I think they knew who he was. So what Jesus does here is, what does he mean that he meant to pass by them? Anybody have a know anyone else that you would credit with that?
think in, in reading and reading other interpretations of this passage, it's very possible that you got to remember, this is Mark writing, and this is they know the Old Testament, at least some of them do, and they, you know, they, you can't separate the Old and the New Testament together. They, 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 they're combining Jesus is, is God, come in the flesh. And that phrase, past guidance, here's what I wrote in my notes. It may seem strange um, to read these words he meant for past guidance. These words that have here be translated. Jesus intends to pass by them. This most likely is a reference to something God did on three occasions in the Old Testament. In Exodus 33 and 34, Moses gets a glimpse of God's glory and passes by the mountain. Remember that? And he said, let me see your glory. He says, you appear to see my glory, but I pass by and you'll, you'll get a glimpse. And the same goes for Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Job also refers to God passing by in his hand. And, and there's, as, as I go, this is God coming to flesh. I mean, and I think, I think that the reader, as they read this, says, I mean, we're, you got to remember, this is written to the early church, having known the Old Testament, a lot of them Jews, some Gentiles, they're reading this, and they're seeing this is the Jewish Messiah. This is the Son of God who has come in the flesh. And he is, He's revealing Himself to us. He is showing us His glory. I mean, we're going to, how can we but see the glory of a man who people are touching His garments and they're getting healed and fruit is multiplying. He's the Moses that brings, He's the greater Moses that gives food in the wilderness. You know, and He's the one that passes by them now. And they, now they're utter, utterly afraid and they can't handle it. And he stops and he comes into the boat and he calls them to see. Jesus passes by and the disciples' hearts do not lose their faith and joy and hope. They were terror and trembling. And that's, therefore, we see the revealing of the heavenly presence of God. Instead of hope and faith and joy and fear and terror, we read that he, they improperly responded. Jesus didn't say, oh, you responded well or naturally. He said, you, you have, don't be afraid. And he got to the, they were astounded. And he said, don't you understand? They didn't understand. And they probably they didn't understand about the world. Um, how often are we like this? We're moaning and groaning our struggle. And then he comes and we do not recognize the presence of the They got hard hearts, but it still ends up real well. And thank God for the mercy and grace of God. Because they, though they have hard hearts, he doesn't slap them around. He, what does he do? He just starts healing their faith. And they get to be tested. He finds he, they saw and they were terrified. They came, and then it says they came to the other side, the people in the country. They were praying wherever he would go. They, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him. They might touch the fringe of his garment, as many as touched him were made well. Uh, we must learn from the story in several ways. We should once again be reminded that Jesus comes and meets us where we are, not where we are. They ought to have been a lot stronger in their faith, but they weren't. And actually, that's probably good for us because we are so 
Lord remains. Jesus does not take off once they respond with a call to error. Instead, he comes and he reveals his unending love, calms the storm. Then he goes with them to the shore to pray the healing prayer. Jesus is merciful, merciful, merciful. How thankful are we that we can glorify the immeasurable who delivers us and then then he tests our faith again and we still doubt and then we come to our senses and we're asked to forgive and he's merciful and again miraculously forgives us. That's the Lord who he is. Um, His providence would make us this calm and liberty to face this week. I want to end with this. I I just was reading. I want to tie this together maybe as a an appeal to us all to we should all be thinking about this Jesus that we would share with one another. Do you share the goodness of this Jesus with someone that you just met? Do you do you commit to study to know this Jesus better? Do you share it with your family? Do you share it with a neighbor, a co-worker? I heard this today that sharing the gospel can be thought of in three words. Three words. Identity, mission, and heart. If I want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with my neighbor next door, if I think of him, now I need to know a lot about these three words. But for him listening, and we're going to be actually talking about that in the coming weeks as we fill in these two words. We need to, I want, I want to tell my neighbor, Ben, Ben, I want you to know about this Jesus Christ. Let me first tell you about who he is. Identity. He will never leave you or forsake you. No ordinary person could, could walk on water. No ordinary person could talk to a pig. No ordinary person could do what he did with bread and multiply it for 5,000. Nobody could heal. Nobody could do all the things and speak with such authority and change lives. Nobody could change the modern, the world that, as we are today, if, if he was just an ordinary man. You see, he was really God who came as identity. But, but he came not just because why he came is just as important. His life, his mission, his, he came to deal with our, our guilt. He, did, he came to deal with our guilt. We have to come take care of our sin problem. Whether we, we know we have a sin problem or not, all of us know we don't mess, mess up to meet, meet up to what we need. He came to deal with our sin problem. He came to live a perfect life to testify of the truth of God and God's holiness, but then to lay down his life on the cross to die for our sin And he did do that. He died for the sins of everyone who put their trust in him. But he all, not only did he deal with our sin and shame problem and guilt problem, he also did, he dealt with the death problem, yet he rose from the dead. That's his mission. He lived an unlike him. His mission was to die and raise from the dead and fully give up your life. And the third is coupled with heart. His passion. Because I love passion. Passion calls us to, to believe that he really is who he says he is. He did what he said he would do. And he calls us to follow him. We follow him by putting belief in something else, and that's just believing him so much that we turn away from our own sins and our own righteousness, and we go to follow him, knowing that it may mean suffering, it may mean shame, it may mean rejection, but if we truly know and believe who he is, he's our passion. 
Thank you.